folklore, the beliefs, traditions and culture of the people. Passed on in the most part through the spoken word, folklore expresses our values, our shared ideas with others. It is both how we were and how we are. Without a record, our customs and traditions may become lost to us in the present, but under the surface, we still draw on them. We still know. It's time to recall our forgotten history and to record the new. This is the Folklore Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore author and researcher. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined from the US by Ben Radford, who'll be discussing his extensive research into the lore of the Chupacabra. Ben is deputy editor of Skeptical Inquirer magazine and a research fellow at the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, where his colleagues include Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is author, co-author or contributor to over 20 books, as well as thousands of articles. Ben appears as an expert regularly on many major news outlets and documentaries. His full, extensive biography is on the guest page on the podcast website, and it is an honour to welcome him to our show. There are very few interviews on the Chupacabra and its folklore that are really in-depth, but this one was definitely extensive. Sadly, I have had to edit some sections for time. The e-magazine supplement for this episode, however, contains a complete transcript of the whole interview, as well as Ben's suggested reading. This is free for all our patrons to download on Patreon, and available for just 99p, or a little over a dollar, from the Folklore shop on our website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com. For more details of how to become a patron and get all of our episode supplements for free, please listen to the end credits at the end of this programme. For now, here is Ben Radford and his interview on the Chupacabra. So let's start perhaps by um, you giving us a bit of a brief overview of the the history of this creature and uh, what it's all about for those that don't know much about it. Sure, yeah. Uh, it's uh, The Chupacabra is... Um... Uh, it's probably the world's second best-known creature after uh, after Nessie, uh, uh, you know, Loch Ness monster, and uh, and Bigfoot, um, and uh, it's a, it, it's sort of you know probably tie second uh, after Bigfoot uh, in terms of sort of being a, a universally um, known cryptid that is something that um, that is unlike unlike for example and, and of course. Uh, as 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 you know, and many people don't, and of course, many listeners listeners of this podcast do know. Uh, for example, dragons and fairies. You know, to the general public, uh, it's you know the, the the these are you know clearly mythical creatures. But as, as you've discussed on your previous shows, uh, many people really do in modern times believe in these things, sorts of things. Uh, but uh, creatures such as Nessie and, and Bigfoot and the Chupacabra and Mothman. Those sort of hold a, a different status, certainly in cryptozoology, in that they are widely believed, at least ostensibly. And so, that was what intrigued me about about the chupacabra. Um, you know, I had pre- had previous experience in in doing cryptozoological research with Bigfoot, and I'd researched Bigfoot sightings, and also uh, also in in lake monsters. I, I co-authored a book, uh, Lake Monster Mysteries, with Joe Nickel, and I've researched lake monsters uh, in. Uh, Different different countries around the world, uh, and so I had some background in, in in exploring, investigating some of these zoological mysteries. But the chupacabra was a bit of a different beast. Um, and one thing that really intrigued me about it, and and it anyway, just sort of to, to get the overview, the chupacabra is uh, the the word comes from the, the the Spanish for bloodsucker, or excuse me, goat sucker. And uh, chupa meaning to suck, and, and cabra meaning goat. And uh, it's it, depending on, on which version you, you look at. In, in my book, I explain you know that the, there, there's actually several different versions. There's not just sort of one. Um, but depending on which version you're looking at, 
It is a sort of a spiky-backed bipedal creature um, with uh, sort of oblong eyes, sort of alien-esque eyes, no nose, uh, no ears, just sort of this weird, uh, um, about four feet tall creature that's that is unlike any any known animal in the world. And then a second version, Chupacabra, emerged in in about 2000. And that was a more uh, a canid type. Uh, so you're talking dogs, coyotes, foxes. So these were bipedal, or excuse me, they're quadrupeds. Uh, they they essentially looked like uh, dogs with mange. They were hairless usually. Um, they had no spikes down the back. They just looked like sick dogs essentially. Um, and so these are the two main versions of the chupacabra that emerged over the past uh, past 30 years. Um, and so, or 20, 20 some years. And so it was, it was interesting to sort of see how these things teased out. But one thing that intrigued me about the Chupacabra was that, uh, unlike Bigfoot and Nessie, it was a vampire because, uh, its signature was sucking the blood out of, uh, out of, uh, livestock, primarily goats, but also chickens, cattle, things like that. Uh, and it was widely believed uh, throughout Latin America, uh, particularly in, in Puerto Rico, uh, Mexico, Central America, and elsewhere. And so that was really what intrigued me. Was I said, "Well, hold on here. I mean, you have you have this you have this this creature that's widely known uh, that it's a vampire. That's that is unusual, right? And and because it's a vampire, that lends itself to to actual forensic investigation because vampires suck blood. That's what they do." Uh, certainly the types of vampires most people are familiar with. And so because it does that, there should be trails of bodies. I mean, we should find all these bodies that have been mysteriously sucked to blood, and, you know, there there's actual... It's not just, you know, ambiguous sightings on a lake or in the deep woods, uh, or, you know, black cats or what have you. It's, it's actually... There should be tangible evidence, and that's really what intrigued me about it. So, um, in your book... Uh, tracking the Chupacabra, and I'll put a link to that book on your guest page on our website so that people can go and look at it for themselves. Uh, you you kind of started that book in this way by looking at this vampire law. Um, so why did you start off in that way? Was it because there was this possibility of having forensic evidence that you could start to look at right at the beginning of the investigation? That's part of it. Um, you, you know, once I... Once I sort of zoomed in on in what what in retrospect is the pretty obvious fact that it's a vampire, um, then that sort of gave me a context or a prism through which to understand the creature, whether it was real or not. I mean, you know, keep in mind, uh, I spent five years researching this. Um, I, I say that you know either out of pride or stupidity, take your pick. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I took it seriously, uh, and you know, I, I, I put a lot of time and effort into trying to figure out what was going on. I traveled to the, the, the jungles of, of Central America. I interviewed eyewitnesses. I mean, I, I took this very seriously. This wasn't a joke. Um, when I began the, the, the research and investigation, I didn't know whether I would find a chupacabra or not. I, I didn't think so, but I was certainly open to the possibility. And I believe that you have to actually investigate. Uh, and so that was really what drove me was was saying, all right, well, let's take this seriously. Let's let's assume that you know that that there there may be some truth behind these, and go forward. And um, that was sort of why I I, I initially nailed down its its origin and, and its nature because again, it is it is it is a vampire. And as I as I mentioned, because it's a vampire, uh, there are certain um, acts and characteristics of vampires that that we should see if 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 it's real. And that again, that's what distinguishes it from other prominent cryptids. And so, so the, uh, I realized that in order to understand the, the chupacabras nature or lore or at least the 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 idea surrounding, you had to uh, regardless again regardless of whether it's real or not. Uh, you know, it is is believed to be a vampire, and that is that was sort of the hook that I that I used to to begin the, the, the research. Sure, and and vampires obviously we we find in different cultures all around the world, but you tended to focus on the European vampire lore um, when you were talking about this in the book. Now, what links or similarities did you find then between the cryptid that is the chupacabra, for want of a better term? and this European vampire law that you were looking at? Well, uh, 
Uh, there are a couple of things. I mean, you know, the, the first thing to sort of tease out, and again, this is this is sort of old hat to folklorists and people who are familiar with you know vampire lore and this and that, but it, it's it's not really well known outside of that and to the general public. But of course, there's many types of vampires. Uh, the 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 vampire that most people today are familiar with, certainly in the Western world, are, are revenants. Uh, you know, the the, the raised. Uh, raised uh, humans people who you know people used to be alive then they died and they they were brought back to to life either on their own volition or or through other means uh and so that that's where we get the you know the, the dracula and, and these other versions of vampires but in fact uh you know the the chupacabra is an earlier form of the vampire uh and the, the two characteristics uh, you know you can go back and see the the early uh, vampires, you know, back in in ancient Greece, for example, in ancient Egypt, you had these 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 vampires that were uh, much more akin to demons or spirits that were that were flying around and, and causing causing harm to people. And you know, obviously, there's lots of you know, depending on the subtype of vampire you're talking about, there's different lore associated with, with each of them. So, for example, you know, there's with with the revenants and the more you know the sort of sparkly vampires, if you will, <laughs> there's you know the whole you know you, the you know they can't see the reflection in a mirror and you know they're afraid of garlic and steaks and all that, and that's all well and good. But the the two key parts of vampire lore that, that I focused on in order to uh, understand the chupacabra was number one um, the the idea of draining blood or energy, uh, etc. through physical contact. Uh, and so that that was you know the, the the touching or biting or some physical contact drains either a physical substance or energy or something like that. And the other one is um, the notion of vampires being blamed for unexpected death or misfortune. And um, and that was sort of what I latched onto when I was looking at uh, the chupacabra because you know in in uh, in chapter two of my book I talk about. Uh, the the late Middle uh, late Middle Ages uh, and vampire lore in, in Europe, for example, um, and you know how uh, if if there was something bad happening, uh, you know there was a, a a baby was stillborn, for example, or a cow stopped giving milk, or there was a drought, or you know locusts, or whatever went on. Uh, people looked for a reason, right? People humans are are pattern seeking creatures. We have we have tendencies towards magical thinking. And so, you know, we look for why why bad things happen to good people. Uh, and oftentimes the answer to many people was it's a vampire. <laughs> so <laughs> they would they would try and look around for that the, or, or a witch, or, you know, or some, something in that category. You know, there's there's some external evil that's doing this bad thing to me. And if we just appease the gods or if we just stake the vampire, dig up this person and, you know, we, we can we can make things right. So so those those are the two parts that really jumped out at me. In terms of the 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 the, the common threads uh, between the European vampire and the chupacabra, and that that again that actually emerged quite a bit in in my later research into the the Caribbean uh, stories about the chupacabra. That's it. There always has to be a scapegoat, doesn't there? So um, in these um, areas that you then went on to look at um, in the Caribbean in the Americas. Um, what vampire roots were you finding there? Was it a similar sort of thing, or is it slightly different set of motifs that you're looking at there? It, it was it was a slightly different set of motifs. You know, I I, I tried to sort of bring in. I, I touched a little bit on uh, uh, African vampires and also uh, Latin American vampires in my book. So, um, and and again, this this goes back to some of the later stories of of. Oh, you know what, what the chupacabra does in terms of sucking uh, blood. Now there are there's a handful of reports of chupacabras attacking people, but by far, and most of those have been pretty quickly determined to be hoaxes. But by far the greatest, um, the 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 most common is attacking animals and livestock, and and of course by extension, uh, that's 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 their economic lifeblood. I mean, you know, it, it's it, you know, you have to understand the the chupacabra through the prism of those who believe it. And, you know, to, to you or me, the idea that a chupacabra might attack five cows in the middle of Puerto Rico or Nicaragua is, well, so what? I mean, okay, so, you know, there's some cows dead. But to a small farmer uh, who that's, you know, they may have six cows and five of them are now dead and something killed them. And that is a serious issue. It's not a joke. It's not funny. Uh, it, you know, to, to people who are living subsistence lives, 
uh, particularly in rural parts of, of Latin America, the chupacabra is a very real threat to their, their lifeblood and their, and their economic well-being. And so it has to be viewed through that prism. And so when I was looking at the, the chupacabra, or excuse me, when I was looking at vampires, for example, in Africa and in Latin America, one of the things I honed in on was, uh, was again, the, um, the, the, the elements of uh, rumor, uh, rumors of organ theft and, and blood theft. And I had previously written about kidney theft and organ theft. I, I'd written a couple articles for 14 Times Magazine and also uh, Skeptical Inquirer on uh, the, the kidney theft urban legends and, you know, the, the kidneys being stolen and all that. And that ties in very nicely, in fact, with, with, with vampires because, again, you're having a bodily substance that's being taken um, and, 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 you know, used for illicit purposes. And so I, I talked a little bit about the, the leaky chiri which is a vampire that I researched in La Paz, Bolivia in the 90s. Uh, and it's this vampire of the, the, the cold autoplano in the, in the Andes. Uh, and instead of blood, it sucks people's fat. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fat sucker. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really interesting. And uh, I, I interviewed uh, an ethnologist in, in Bolivia who talked about it. And, and it's, it's believed to be a real thing. And uh, again, to you and me, the idea of you know some unknown entity stealing our fat is like, Hey, that's great. <laughs> I'll be over here. I, I got a few pounds I can get rid of. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but again, you have to understand these, these rumors and legends uh, within the context they circulate. And in, the, in, in Central, uh, in Central in South America, especially in the high Andes, you know, fat keeps you alive, literally. And so once again, you see, uh, you know, the, the, the fat theft is it's a threat to, to their, their survival. And it's not a joke. And it's and so uh, the, the idea is this, this leaky cheery vampire entity uh, goes around, steals people's fat and then uses it, uh, it, it to uh, to make uh, well, a variety of things, including cosmetics uh, and uh, and different substances for for the uh, for North American industries. And so. Again, there's this notion of of American and and Western European imperialism that you see over and over again in in these vampire legends. Uh, this idea that the resources, the literally the blood and the fat and the treasure of people in you know, throughout Latin America and elsewhere Africa as well are um, are are drained and taken away metaphorically in some cases literally by evil superpowers uh, that speak English, primarily Americans and Canadians and to some degree uh, Western Europeans. And so this motif, uh, to, to bring this back to, to the Caribbean, this motif was very much present when I was looking at the folklore of the Chupacabra in Puerto Rico. Um, because uh, Puerto Rico has a, a, a sort of an uncomfortable history with America because the United States owns Puerto Rico. It's, it's a territory of ours, but it's not a state. And it doesn't have states' rights. Uh, it is it is you know one of a handful of sort of far flung um, you know uh, post colonial entities, if you will. Uh, and and there's a strong sense in Puerto Rico that I both read about and saw firsthand when I visited there and and, and did some research there that uh, Americans are taking. Are, are taking resources, taking lumber, taking, uh, taking, uh, go, um, not gold, but you know, oil and other things like that, and taking labor and, and sugar and stuff. And so there was there was this very palpable um, sense of a, a metaphoric vampirism uh, that was that 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 I again that I saw in in, in, in research uh, in 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 Puerto Rico, and and because again it's it's you know. The United States owns it, but they don't have they don't have voting rights. They don't have uh, they, they they have they essentially have nothing. They feel very exploited. Uh, and Puerto Rico is perpetually in economic crisis. Um, I was every every uh, every year or two, I happen to I see some some story about some new economic crisis in Puerto Rico. They're bankrupt. It's just it's just a mess down there, and, and they blame a lot of that on the United States. And so that sort of feeds into the antipathy towards the U.S., and, and uh, it, it may seem like, a, like what I'm talking about is far afield from the Chupacabra, but it's not. It actually folds right back in because, uh, because that, uh, you know, one of the common threads through in the Chupacabra folklore is this anti-Americanism and, and, uh, and the idea of, of what, what Americans are doing uh, to them through the Chupacabra. 
Well, this is it, isn't it? It's natural for us as human beings, whatever country we're in, uh, within our folklore, to draw on those things that cause us fear and and to find these symbols in that we can use to represent that fear um, within the belief systems that that we operate within so with with a fat sucking vampire that is you know you're literally getting a representation of this fear of um western culture sucking the life out of your country or or your absolutely uh, and you find the same i guess with the chupacabra you say about you know a farmer may have six cows and five are killed then certainly that's no joke and it's that fear of your livelihood being taken away by something that's outside of your control and i guess that's yeah. what's happening here isn't it um, no, that's exactly right yeah yeah so we're we're interested aren't we as as folklorists at trying to find the origin of stories now I, uh, I guess you're, you're, when you approach something from two sides, like we were saying before, you've got that investigative side, and there you're looking for the what is this creature if it exists, or where has this come from, uh, in a physical sense. And then we're looking for, within folklore, within that other way of looking at these things, as the origin story as to where these beliefs come from in the first place. Um, in the very first podcast that we did we talked about Slenderman with Andrea Kitter um, and that was something where we were tracing a very definite origin story and a, and a quite recent one uh, and it was easy to see where that came from uh, you know it was a it was an internet origin that, that then developed from there the chupacabra as a as a symbol or as a creature is also I guess quite recent so can we trace the origins of this story in a similar way we can, or, or, or I should say, I did, um, uh, and it was fascinating. And I, I, and I'm glad you brought up uh, Kitta and uh, and Slenderman. I, I heard that episode, and it was great. And I've I've met Andrea Kitta, and she's a wonderful researcher. And I, I'm glad to sort of see her and others, uh, you know, uh, giving more expert commentary, of course, along with you on on these sorts of things, and sort of you know helping the public to understand some of the nuances that may be lost otherwise. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, one thing that I've discovered in in my uh, in my investigating these you know weird, mysterious, whatever thing you want to call them, is that you know these these weird, seemingly inexplicable things don't occur in a vacuum. Uh, there is always a, a specific set of social cultural circumstances from which these things emerge. Uh, and it could be the, the, you know, the satanic panic scare uh, in, in the U.S. in the 1980s. It could be the Chupacabra. It could be, uh, you know, stories of you know, the, the demonic possession. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the film The Exorcist uh, was very influential in, in, in fomenting the public's beliefs about exorcisms later on, etc. And so, so that's one thing that, that I've uh, really keyed on in my investigations is trying to understand. These things have to be understood in context. Uh, you can't just say, "Well, you know, here's this weird thing. Isn't this strange?" Well, it is strange, and you know, and what's around it. In order to understand what something is, you have to understand what's what's around it. What, you know, where did this come from? How did this emerge? And that was one of the big challenges to me. And so, when I was researching the book, um, I had I'd gotten about I'm going to say maybe two thirds of the way to re researching the book. And I had interviewed, uh, you know, dozens of people, everything from medical pathologists, eyewitnesses, uh, researchers, uh, wildlife predation experts, just up and down the line. Um, and I, I, I went out for a, a television show called Monster Quest, and I looked at a chupacabra slash um, canine head in, in a freezer and things like that. Uh, and and excuse me, by the time I was about two thirds way through the book, I, I, I had. I had solved most of the mystery. I, I, I was pretty sure that, that I knew what you know, the, the alleged Chupacabra victims were and what the sightings were. I had parsed all that out, but there was one big remaining question. And the, the, the one elephant in the room, the, the Chupacabra in the room, was where did it come from? What was the origin? And that was the big thorny million-dollar question that, that I, I ended up you know, really turning to and trying to focus on it. And that's, that was what was most interesting to me was it, it could, could the, you know, could I trace back or could, could anyone trace back 
the origin of this, um, because as you know, it's 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 fairly rare to be able to identify a specific origin point. You know, uh, we could do that with Slenderman, for example. We know we know exactly we know the date and time when yes. Slenderman emerged. Uh, but Slenderman is a, is, a, is a rare exception. Um, for most cases, as you as you know. I mean, I, I can't count the number of times someone, someone's asked me, so when did the Vanishing Hitchhiker emerge? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. uh, how do I, even, you know, or, or, you know, take your pick? I mean, there's, and it's just because they're just, I mean, we can, obviously we can, we can, or La Llorona. I mean, I, I researched La Llorona for, you know, for one of my books. I mean, you know, we, we can, we can trace through the threads and find early references. And that's, that's part of the fun of folkloric research. I mean, that's, that's, that's the great part. And so we can do that, but in terms of being able to identify a specific origin point, that's very rare. And so I, the challenge to me was to see if I could do that. And so when you're looking at uh, zoological origins, uh, there's always this interesting uh, phenomenon in which, Creatures that are otherwise fairly recent are given a false history uh, in order to make them seem by believers more more believable, right? And so you had, for example, with 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 Bigfoot and and Sasquatch. Uh, you know, really the earliest sightings, as as my friend Daniel Loxton talks about in his book Abominable Science with Don Prothero, uh, he does a great job in in tracing back the origins of these creatures. Um, and in many of these cases, they're they're not that old. Uh, Bigfoot really only dates back to the the 40s and 50s. Uh, uh, Nessie only dates back to, uh, to the the 30s or so. I mean, so the, these are there are simply is not a centuries old provenance to draw upon from which. Uh, that makes these creatures more plausible. And so what happens then is that people who believe in these creatures, who, who promote their existence, they sort of co-opt other stories. So, for example, with Bigfoot and, and Sasquatch, oftentimes you have people talking about native legends. They say, oh, well, you know, it's true that you know modern Bigfoot sightings only date back so far, but... You know, if you look back at these legends and stories, you know, from this, this First Nations group, whatever else, they speak about this wild man in the woods. Uh, and they sort of try and co-opt or nudge or force fit or shoehorn that into evidence for, for, for Bigfoot. And, and it's, it's just simply not. Um, it, you know, when you, when you go back and you look at those, those stories in context, as I said before, very important, you find that they're not actually talking about a, a, an actual physical wild man in the woods. And the wild man in the woods stories and boogeyman in the woods stories are very common. They're not necessarily evidence for Bigfoot. And I also saw this, for example, when I was investigating uh, Ogopogo, the lake monster in Lake Okanagan, British Columbia. Uh, uh, it was fascinating stuff. I, I did research out there with National Geographic and investigation out there. And once again, you had people who were sort of talking about, oh, well, you know, the First Nations people knew knew it as this other this other creature, Naitaka or Nahaikt, uh, that was this this you know this water serpent creature, water spirit in in the lake that 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 uh, that Indians would sacrifice uh, dogs to and, and other animals to to cross the lake safely. And once again, it, it, that's not actually true. If you go back and you look at what what people are claiming as the early reports of the Ogopogo Lake monster, um, it's they're not talking about a physical slimy serpent creature. They're talking about a water spirit that can command uh, storms, right? And so, anyway, so so there's there's parallels with other creatures and cryptids, and um, and so uh, or you can look at Nessie and you know the the stories of Saint Columba. Uh, that are sort of roped in to, uh, in the sixth century that there was a, the, you know, the, the saint stories about you know turning back a serpent in in the in the Ness River, and so so exactly that sort of phenomenon occurs with chupacabra, and the thing about the chupacabra is the it, its existence poses a thorny problem for people who believe in it because there's no provenance, um, there 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 are no there are essentially no there's no reports that I found of any chupacabras before 1995. Um, there are, there's no reports in 1990, there's no reports in 1982, there's no reports in 1967, <laughs> they, they don't exist. That's interesting and, as well, isn't it, that, um, it is quite a modern, uh, symbol, if you like. It is, it is. Uh, and that's, and that was what, what it, and it's so, it's interesting because it, it is such a modern creature 
Uh, and again, sort of like Slender Man. I mean, there's lots of parallels between Chupacabra and Slender Man. And it, because it is such a modern creature, number one, that did two things. Number one, it, it allowed me to solve the mystery because that meant there was a limited data set, right? If, yeah. if this thing only emerged in 1995, I've only got, you know, 15 at the time years to, to research, right? I don't, I don't have to pour through literally hundreds and hundreds of, you know, Bigfoot tracks and sightings and reports and, you know, and videos and hoaxes. I mean, they're just, they're just, there's, there's too much out there for something that dates back, uh, you know, decades. But in the case of Chupacabra, because it was so recent, that allowed me to sort of get my mind around it because there was only so many reports. There's only so many eyewitnesses. There's only so many incidences of it appearing. And because it was was a small enough data set, I was able to sort of put it all on my desk at one time, (laughs) metaphorically, and look at it. And so, so again, as I mentioned, the the the, uh, the chupacabra's lack of provenance before the 1990s posed a problem because you know creatures don't just magically appear, right? I mean, they don't. <laughs> in the real world, it's not like you know. Well, the the giraffe was first seen in 1983 in Mozambique. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not how that works, right? No, no, no. We have this thing called evolution that most of us believe in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and 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 because of that, you know, all animals have parents and lineages, etc. And so, and so, but the chupacabra was unique because it just popped. It just popped into the public's in, in, into the world in in '95. And so, and so, for people who believed in it, they they had a problem because they had to explain that. And there's two explanations for for the chupacabra. The first one was that uh, that yeah, the chupacabra was an extraterrestrial. Uh, that is, it was a either an alien itself, or uh, in some versions, I, I heard the story that it was an alien's pet. <laughs> uh, so the idea was that uh, the uh, UFOs had visited Puerto Rico, you know, as one does. It's a nice place, you know, go to yeah. the beaches, whatever. Um, and while they were visiting Puerto Rico, they opened up the door and they were going to, you know, put some anal probes in some hillbilly, whatever. And the 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 alien chupacabra pet like jumped out before they could catch it and escaped into the into the El Yunque rainforest in in in, uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, so that was one version, and I'll just dryly say that I'm skeptical of that. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the the second version uh, is actually somewhat more interesting, uh, and and there's some parallels there. The second version is that the chupacabra is a sort of top secret uh, U.S. government genetic experiment gone wrong. Sort of a, a Frankenstein story, uh, and and again, it's specifically U.S. Right? It wasn't a top secret French experiment gone wrong. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the it wasn't the Japanese. It was Americans. Again, keep in mind this 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 happened in Puerto Rico, and who are they blaming? America. They're blaming the 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 the, the bad parent who ignores them and exploits them. Right? Yeah. And so, so it was fascinating research because again, the, and these are these two theories. Like again escaped alien from outer space or be uh, a genetic, genetic experiment gone wrong you know that there uh, the, the story goes there was there is a, a, a top secret military base uh, in the jungles of El Yunque and I've been to El Yunque it's, it's not far from um, from the capital of San Juan and it's, it's a it's a rainforest and it's fairly thick uh, um, uh, and the idea is that there's a you know government base there and that experiments go on there <laughs> you, you, let, let your mind go from there right you know experience uh, you know on the Montauk monster or you know creating slender man or Bigfoot or whatever else but in this case the idea was that um, they were splicing genes together in some you know unholy <laughs> unholy experiment and a uh, a um, a tropical storm came through, and just as they were completing this experiment, and uh, and the winds uh, broke broke up the, the storm, damaged the facility, and this this creature that, that the American scientists had been creating managed to escape and you know, escape into the wilderness, and that's where it lived, lived and hid and, and sucked the, the the blood of things. So, and this so is the creature. Are... This is the creature in its first form in the in the yes. humanoid form. Yeah. That, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, so th- those were the two original origin stories uh, for the chupacabra. And since that time, uh, I, I did a follow up. Um, uh, I'll just touch on touch on touch on them briefly. I did a follow up uh, article in Skeptical Inquirer magazine. It is in the uh, 
uh, January-February 2016 issue titled Mistaken Memories of Vampires, Pseudo-Histories of the Chupacabra. And, um, and in those, I, I examine uh, three, uh, three stories about the Chupacabra's origin that emerged uh, in the years afterwards. Um, and one of them says that the Chupacabra was sort of a, uh, an American witch doctor's, uh, Native American witch doctor's pet um, that was, was seen in the United States. Uh, one of them was that there's, there's ties in with ancient aliens. Uh, and uh, another one was that the, the Taino um, uh, Indians, which, which are known uh, around the area in, 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 uh, in Puerto Rico, uh, had, uh, had eaten um, the, the chupacabra. In fact, there's a, there's a delightful uh, illustration that I reprint in the book of two uh, Taino Indian couples who are roasting a chupacabra on a spit <laughs> over an open fire. That I just found delightful, um, and uh, anyway, there, there's others as well. But it, but so again, it's it's fascinating to see the 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 um, the wide variety and often completely contradictory uh, ideas about where the chupacabra emerged in the absence of, of you know real good real scholarship. And to to be fair, you know all these origin stories emerged uh, before I had written my book, and so. I, I hope that, that my research will sort of inform people in terms of the, the true history of the Chupacabra. So I, I can't really blame them for ignoring my book when it hadn't come out then. But that is, there, there's quite a few out there. Sure. And this, uh, this whole theory of gene splicing then, to go back to, go back to this idea, um, this, this suggests to me that, and, and I think you found the same, didn't you, that this whole kind of conspiracy theory around the folklore of the Chupacabra then forms. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's fascinating when you, when you go back and you, and you look at, uh, at, at, the, 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 the conspiracy theory theme in Chupacabra lore is very strong. Um, and you don't really find that with other monsters. Uh, you know, there, there isn't a strong conspiracy theory theme in, uh, in Bigfoot research, for example, or in, in Nessie, what have you. But there is a very strong one in the Chupacabra lore. And um, I trace that back to, um, to the influence of, of UFO buffs in Puerto Rico who latched on to the original very first sighting of the Chupacabra that emerged in 1995. Uh, there was a, the, the very first sighting of the Chupacabra emerged. It, it, it occurred, uh, it was uh, the, the first sighting of a Chupacabra emerged in 1995. Uh, it was, was seen by a woman named Madeline Tolentino. And uh, Tolentino uh, was, was the first person to ever see what would later become the Chupacabra. And she described it as, uh, as the original type of Chupacabra I, I, I discussed. It was a sort of a, a bipedal creature, had sort of oval, um, oval head, alien wraparound eyes, very prominent spikes down the back, um, long slender fingers, bipedal. Uh, and this is what she, she, she saw. And uh, I interviewed her uh, at her home in, in, in Puerto Rico uh, for my book, and it was fascinating talking to her. Nobody had really talked to her uh, for many years after her sighting, I tracked her down and, and, and did that. Uh, but what had happened was that when her sighting first emerged, the first people to latch onto it and promote it and talk about it were UFO believers. In particular, there was a guy named Jorge Martin. And... Uh, Puerto Rico is, is actually a hotspot for uh, UFO beliefs. That's um, not necessarily widely known, but there's many, many UFO believers uh, in, in Puerto Rico, of course, elsewhere as well. But it's particularly strong in, in, um, in Puerto Rico and in San Juan. And it just so happened that the first people to interview Tolentino and to sort of get her story out you know, in the media and, this, and the, the internet was just first emerging uh, around this time. Again, this was, you know, 95, 96, 97. And so, um, so the internet played, played a big role in the Chupacabra's, uh, eventual, you know, dominating, uh, the, the world of cryptids. And I can talk a little bit about that later, but, um, their, their, their influence and they're sort of putting their own alien-esque spin on the Chupacabra was, it was a big part of why, the, the conspiracy theories uh, later got attached to it, and and keep in mind that uh, that 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 
you know, aliens and UFOs, uh, and that lore is rife with conspiracies, uh, probably more so than most of the other subjects that I that I research. Uh, just it's just it's just part and parcel of of of, of their belief system, partly because, of course, um, their their excuse for why they don't have better evidence for alien bodies or you know alien contact or routes is that it's a cover up. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's their answer. Well, you know, I would be able to give you the evidence, but they're hiding it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's 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 someone else's fault that they don't have the evidence, and and that engenders conspiracies. And so that was that's why today uh, conspiracy theories are so wrapped up in in chupacabra lore. That's really interesting. And there's another side that I find really interesting as well that you talk about in the book, and that's the uh, the fact that the folklore of the chupacabra. Um, is essentially co-opted um, by another body. And, and in this case, and we find this a lot in, in other aspects of folklore, the chupacabra is kind of co-opted by the church for, for religious reasons. Can you just say a little bit about how that came about? Sure. Uh, that was that was a bizarre sideline that I had not expected when I was researching chupacabra. You know, I'm I'm looking into this sort of, you know, vampiric version of bigfoot uh to, for lack of a better term and and all of a sudden i'm being sidetracked in this bizarre little uh, little uh tangent about the the christian chupacabra uh, which i would never have thought that i'd be saying uh but yes it turns out that um the, the chupacabra was used by pentecostals uh as an example of a couple different things uh one of them was god's wrath um or satan and so and as you mentioned i mean this is you know, it, it's it's to be expected when looking at a subject like this through a folklore prism because that's what happens, yeah, right? This is, absolutely. But 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 if you're looking at it from a cryptozoological prism, that was totally unexpected. Uh, you know, it just was. I mean, there is there is of course the the boogeyman aspect to to monsters in general, and I, I've I've talked about this before. I mentioned this on on the Monster Talk podcast. Um, you know, there, there is a there's a, a boogeyman aspect to to these these creatures, as you know, to La Llorona, right? Don't 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 you know keep the keep the children away from the rivers and the ditches because you know La Llorona will get you and or you'll drown. You know, stay away from the woods, stay away from you know. So the the, the creatures that that we fear are often used as sort of moral guidances and nudges away from from dangers and stuff. And so it's not surprising in retrospect the chupacabra would be sort of co-opted by Pentecostals and saying, in fact, there were, uh, in, in my book, I discussed, you know, there were, there were, um, there were sermons that talked about, you know, the, uh, the evil that is lurking on our Island, you know, the chupacabra. And it's here because we, we, we have not been pious enough. Uh, and you know, it's, it's God's wrath sent to, 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 uh, to, to teach us to, to put us back on the right path. Uh, another another person was um, another Pentecostal preacher was talking about the chupacabra as being a sign of the end times. You know, once again, Armageddon is upon us. Mm-hmm. Why? Because this vampiric creature is lurking around, sucking the blood of goats, of course. Um, and some of them uh, uh, thought they found early references to chupacabra in Revelations and the Book of Revelations in the Bible, the the, the creatures that come out. Um, and so there was that aspect to it. And then another sort of bizarre tangent related to that was that one of the chupacabras I investigated ended up in a creationist museum, uh, which, which was, it was, it was a chupacabra found in, in Blanco, Texas. And I interviewed, uh, the guy that, that stuffed it, the taxidermy did Jerry Ayer. And, um, it, it was later sold, uh, the guy didn't know what to do with it because it was a alleged chupacabra and it made the news and all this, but uh, uh, it was later sold to a guy named John Adolfi. And uh, after some machinations, it ended up being displayed in the Creationist Museum as an example of why scientists are wrong. <laughs> because, of course, if you know, it's like, well, sci- science says, you know, scientists say the chupacabra can't exist, and here it is. Scientists <laughs> yeah. say the Earth is, you know, four billion years later. Clearly they're wrong because here's the chupacabra. That's it. It answers every question, doesn't it, ultimately? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What what I find interesting about this creature, though, is that we have it coming out in, in 1995 as a kind of essentially bipedal humanoid creature that then later on in the law becomes this kind of mangy dog quadruped, for want of a better term. So how has this folklore evolved? How has it gone from one to the other? 
well, it, that's you know that that was one of the big challenges to me was trying to figure out how how did this happen, right? And so you you have two parallel things. You have you have the how the uh, the chupacabra evolution and lore evolved as as folklore, and then you also how have how the, the the physical chupacabra evolved. And I'll, I'll touch on both of them briefly. Um, the in term, the the physical one is easier to explain. Uh, because again, we, uh, the original chupacabra, ver- the original chupacabra was, uh, again, it was this spiky-backed alien-type creature uh, that, uh, without revealing too much, was later determined to, uh, to have come from uh, a science fiction film, actually, uh, the movie Species. Uh, it turned out that the uh, the the very first eyewitness, Madeline Tolentino, uh, who had the first person to see the chupacabra, uh, had seen the movie Species uh, just a week or two earlier. And uh, in fact, in in uh, in interviews at the time, she herself said uh, and remarked on how similar the chupacabra was to the the, the monster in this movie she'd seen. <laughs> and at, at this point, as an investigator, the lights go off, and I'm piecing all this together. Um, and so, so that that was where the original chupacabra came from. But what happened was that. After her initial sighting in 1995, there, there were a handful of reports and sightings that sort of mimicked hers, but there were never any bodies. And so it was always sort of, you know, I saw something in the woods and, you know, I heard about Tolentino's sighting because, of course, it was promoted uh, widely. It was on television. It was on tabloids, in particular one tabloid called El Vocero, which is very popular in, in Puerto Rico. They're a very sensationalist tabloid talking about these lurid stories of blood and guts and all this. And people, of course, heard about this, and and it sort of it, it, there was a sort of form of of, uh, of contagion, right? Where ideas, people would see things that they heard about, and so so for for several years after '95 and Tolentino's sighting, uh, that was inspired by by the Sill, the creature in the movie Species. Some people would report seeing something like that, but then it, it faded away because there was no bodies. There, there was never anything there. It was always sort of these these sightings seen, you know, out, out of the corner of your eye. But that changed in 2000. What happened in 2000 was there was that was the first year that there was actually a body that was found, and it was found on the um, it was found uh, on a ranch in Nicaragua, but uh, in a, on a ranch owned by a man named Jorge Talavera. And I, I talk about all the chupacabras in, in my book, and this one was significant because it was the first time that an actual chupacabra body or alleged body was found, and it was essentially a, 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 a dead canid. It was clearly a canid, whether it was a coyote or a, a dog or what have you, but that's clearly what it was. And from that point on, from about 2000 on, the sightings became these mangy dogs, and that was the pivot. So you, so you went from this interesting uh, situation of having sightings but no bodies having bodies but no sightings and so uh what happened after 2000 was that uh that you know there, there were there were some sightings of chupacabras but they they were all these these dogs and they were never seen actually draining blood from animals they weren't seen you know sucking the blood out of goats they were sort of they were a they were sort of a retrospective explanation for why bad things happen. So, for example, uh, you know, a farmer would come out and see several of his goats killed or chickens killed, and he, he would assume not not because he saw a chupacabra attacking the chickens, but he was he you know being aware of the chupacabra lore and legends and stories and rumors, he would assume well this is the work of the chupacabra. So there must have been you know so basically people would invoke the chupacabra retroactively. Uh, to 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 explain what had happened, and again, this goes back to the, the 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 vampire lore we were talking about earlier, where you know bad things happen, unexplainable, and people look for a scapegoat. So so that that was sort of the transition for the for the for the physical thing, and in terms of how the folklore evolved specifically for the the chupacabra, you, you know, initially after '95 and Tolentino sighting, again it was reported. Uh, by UFO buffs, Jorge Talavera's group, excuse me, Jorge Martin's group, um, UFO buffs sort of sensationalizing the story, and it circulated like all rumors do, you know, backyard gossip among friends and neighbors, and then it was picked up, as I mentioned, by the tabloids. Uh, there are two or three tabloids, the most prominent is El Vocero, which had these sensational stories and, you know, blood and photos of, you know, stories of just outlandish stuff, um, Stories of chupacabras. Uh, there was one one story I wrote about where a chupacabra was alleged to have abducted a girl, uh, tattooed a number on her arm, 
how how would Chupacabra tattooed a number on her arm? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then and then afterwards, her IQ allegedly shot up to like two hundred, uh, either because of the abduction that had. I mean, it was just such an absurd, <laughs> purely fictional story. But it it was it was presented in the tabloids as a true story. And so this is the you know you have to keep in mind the context. And so in the in the first few years of these Chupacabra stories. It was all rumor and gossip and, and legends and all this you know, journalistic exa- exaggerations, and there was virtually no sober, skeptical investigative analysis. It was all, it was all just you know sensational stories and rumors. And then it was picked up by the TV show Christina in March 1996, which is sort of the Latin American version of Oprah. So it was very very popular. And then at that point, it really exploded. Uh, and then it began. The chupacabra began being reported and seen in Spanish-speaking areas. For example, Florida, Argentina, Chile. Uh, it sort of spread there. And then in 1997, it appeared in the on the X Files, and that sort of solidified its its, uh, its 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 place in pop culture history. But then this, for the first five years, we have this humanoid version, which, which let's face it, is is going to tie in more closely with the with the vampire law and all those kinds of things and and at the end of the day is a far more interesting um image to conjure up for the chupacabra so yeah. does that then when we get to 2000 and the and the canid version kind of comes in that original uh image of the chupacabra what just disappears completely it, it, it mostly does, uh, which which was sort of surprising to me. Uh, it because uh, again, what happened was that you know, other than Madeline Tolentino seeing the the original alien esque version of the Chupacabra, which it, as, as we now know is not a coincidence. Yeah. Other than her and a few people that were influenced by that, no one saw this thing. I mean, virtually nobody saw the original version of the Chupacabra. Uh, it, you, you know, Tolentino saw it in a movie. She may have confused with what she saw in real life. Other people maybe may have seen things that were influenced by it. But but you know, keep in mind that as the Chupacabra lore spread to other countries, um, uh, you know, Texas and 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 Florida and elsewhere, uh, you know, that is far away from the the sort of UFO hotbed um, of of Puerto Rico. And so you know, if you look at it from that perspective, you know, somebody. That chupacabra was no longer accessible. Is is probably the way I would put it. Sure. The the original alien esque chupacabra wasn't accessible anymore because the movie came out in '95, and it you know there were some sequels, but I mean essentially that was the big pivotal moment, and that passed. And so in the years afterward, belief in the chupacabra persisted, but it was fueled by uh, by a sort of a broadening of the definition of chupacabra. So these days. The word chupacabra, even though it literally means goat sucker, and it, it technically refers to the original chupacabra that, it, that it was, was cited and discussed in 95, these days the word chupacabra has come to mean anything weird. Basically, <laughs> any animal, any animal alive or dead that someone can't immediately identify is called a chupacabra. I've seen chupacabras, uh, you know, I've seen things identified as chupacabra that were, uh, that were, uh, 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 you know, a, a dead fish, uh, a dead raccoon. Um, any, any animal that somebody finds on a ranch or washed up pretty much anywhere, certainly where there's, you know, people have heard about chupacabra in, in Spanish-speaking areas, will very likely be called a chupacabra at some point by somebody, because, of course, the news media loves a story like that, and the average person doesn't really understand the history of the chupacabra, and so they don't, they don't get that, number one, it's a vampire, um, and number two, it refers to a specific, a specific thing. And so, so that, that's part of the answer to your question, is that, is that you know, along the way, the chupacabra has lost its vampirism. Because these days, uh, there's well, that, that that's not entirely true. But you know, these days the the, the vampirist, these days the vampirism element of the chupacabra has almost entirely vanished. Because what you have are are reports and sightings of mangy dogs in Texas and Oklahoma and elsewhere that have no connection to vampirism. It's just a mangy dog, and so, oh, that's chupacabra. And it's really sort of a it's a function of the the general public not really knowing the true history of the chupacabra and of course sensationalist media and mystery mongers who who want to sort of rope in anything into chupacabra lore. 
That's really interesting, isn't it? Now we're we're um we're running short of time, so that just just to wrap up, there's a couple of things that I just want to very very briefly touch on. You've described a whole range of things uh, in this investigation, which let's face it, within any motif of folklore that we've looked at, there's a wide range of stuff here. We've got UFOs, we've got alien creatures, we've got conspiracy theories, we've got gene splicing. This is a surprising range of stuff. Now, what was the most surprising thing to you when you looked into this? You know, probably the most surprising was, um, you know, I wasn't that surprised about the the, the alien, or excuse me, I wasn't that surprised about the, the bloodletting because, you know, I had, I had researched cattle mutilations before in the context of, of UFOs. And so, you know, the cattle mutilation, you know, mysterious animal killings isn't that mysterious when you actually look at it and you put it in context. I think the probably the most the most surprising thing to me was that it only dated back to 1995. Uh, and it was such a recent creature. I, I, I had no idea that that was the case when I began my research. And in fact, many people find that hard to believe. Since my book came out, I've had probably a dozen or so people contact me, some politely, some not so politely, and tell me <laughs> that I'm wrong. And that, you know, you, you know I, I liked your book, but you're wrong about this. You know, I heard about the Chupacabra in 1978 or, you know, my my dad told me about the Chupacabra because he, you know, he saw it, you know, back in, in, in 67 in Texas. Uh, and my answer is always the same. It's that's interesting. I appreciate that. Uh, I could be wrong. Do you have any evidence? Do you have any references? Do you have any published references at the time that referred to a blood sucking Chupacabra? There, there is there is a bird called the chupacabra which sucks milk not blood uh from goats according to lore but i i always say this you know you could be right i'm not i'm not perfect i make mistakes like anybody else but if, if what you're saying is true i appreciate that i will give i will offer actually offer a reward i'm actually offering a thousand dollar reward for any pre-1990s uh, reference to a blood-sucking vampiric chupacabra and if you have one it could be published in a, in a magazine in a folklore article in a newspaper anywhere where i can where it can be independently verified uh i i would appreciate that i'll be happy to correct my book and, and give you a signed copy of my book and a thousand dollars and so far no one has taken me up on it uh so uh I, again i could be wrong about this i'm just saying to the best of my research it occurred you know the chupacabra emerged in 1995 as a direct result of the first eyewitness seeing this movie species that that looks almost exactly like chupacabra that was really what what surprised me the most, and and again because it was such a recent creature that allowed me to have a manageable data set. Um, you know, I, I don't think I could have so-called solved Bigfoot or solved Nessie or these other things, but because it was such a recent creature, um, it, there, there was a finite number of experts and witnesses and and, and and evidence to look at. So one final question then. Um... Here we are, what, 22 years later from what we believe to be the first sighting, in inverted commas, of the Chupacabra. Um, where do we stand now? And I'm not expecting necessarily spoilers for your book, <laughs> but, but where do we stand? You you say quite happily you have solved the mystery of the Chupacabra. I believe I have. Uh, so... Where does this leave us with a creature within folklore? That's a, that's a great question. You know, uh, the, the the fact is that my book and research uh, are not going to be the final chapter in the Chupacabra. I mean, as as you know, and as your listeners know, folklore has a life of its own, and nothing I do or say, a researcher write, is going to uh, is going to stop that. Uh, the best I can do is to sort of you know put forth. My, the best evidence that I can collect and put together and say, look, this is this is what I think this is. I could be wrong. If you have better evidence, by all means, feel free to do better research than I did. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Um, so, you know, I think the Chupacabra is going to live on. Um, and it'll be interesting to sort of see what forms it takes. Uh, so, you know, the, the Chupacabra today, uh, because I am the default Chupacabra guy, I get emails from people every month or two of some, some mangy dog. And I, I have a whole folder on my computer of them, and I, I politely accept them, and I try to give them a, a, a brief response back. 
but you know, I the, the, the fact is that as long as uh, as long as people find animals that they can't immediately identify, as long as people you know report the chupacabra story and 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 talk about it, the chupacabra will still live. And so um, you know, it's a vampire. And that wraps it up very neatly. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a privilege to to talk about this subject, which is absolutely fascinating. And and as I said at the start of this program, I don't think has been done real justice within um, the folklore arena, possibly in, in the presenting of evidence in quite this detail. So it's been fascinating and brilliant for us to be able to present it to the listeners today. So thank you very much. The Folklore Podcast is created and hosted by me, Mark Norman. Find out more about my writing and research at www.facebook.com slash MarkNormanFolklore. The Folklore Podcast art director is Melissa Martell. Find her work at www.mdmcreate.com. The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to, but it is an enormous amount of work to research, create, record and write two of these episodes every month. And so, we have created a simple way in which you can help to support the ongoing life of the Folklore Podcast. Please visit our website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com and click on support. There are various ways that you can help, and they don't all involve giving us money. Even just leaving a simple review on iTunes or other podcast apps helps to grow our audience. So please do visit and take a moment to help us to keep going. Thank you for listening. The Folklore Podcast theme music is written and performed by Gurdy Bird.